Hi and welcome to Catholic 101 Podcast. Yes, we made it. The launch party was amazing and thanks to you who set time to join. You guys showed us so much love, of which we are very grateful for. Now, whether you're a Protestant, Catholic, or even a non-Christian, at some point in life you have wondered, why would someone be a priest and a nun? I mean, why would someone block their entire life to just serve God? The mystery behind this men and women of the cloth is intense. Luckily, we are here to break it down. Let's call it the divine path. First round, we take a close look at the Catholic priests. Joining us today is Father Stephen from Karen, Caribou Center Father. Please introduce yourself and tell us something you would like our listeners to know about you. All right. I'm a Catholic priest of the Adults of Nairobi. Uh, I'm called a Diocesan priest because I serve the Adults of Nairobi. I come from a family of uh, seven, five boys and uh, two girls. And uh, I lost my mother in 1999 and uh, my father remarried last year. And so uh, that's our family. And uh, basically that's it. And I'm here at current parish working uh, for the people of God. Well, Father, before we look at the process of becoming one, I would like to know, when was it that you knew you wanted to pick up this vocation? Yeah, uh, it might look like a joke, but we normally call it a bait. Eh? A bait is what you use to catch, uh, let's say, in fishing, they use it to catch fish or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And even in vocation, apparently, we believe God uses baits. Some that will attract you. And then once you are attracted, you get into the, the system, let's say the church. Mm-hmm. And then you discover there's more in the church life than what you attracted initially. Mm-hmm. And mine was simply, I was an altar server in my parish back at Chermo, St. Joseph and Mary. Mm-hmm. And I really admired how the altar servers used to ring the bell and wanted to ring the bell. And I joined altar service, and I was so happy to be ringing the bell during mass. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, I was made the chairman of the altar service. I also used to admire the altar service to carry the cross, the procedural cross, mm-hmm. into the church. And that's how I came close to the priests in the parish. Then I started admiring their life, their service, you know, they are going out to help people. And uh, also, to some extent, how people respected them, you know, the authority they wielded, but they also more the service that they did. And the change that they brought to poor people, especially in you know, my parish, covers largely a slum, that is Sharumoyo, that the various slums that surround it. So how they impacted on the people, that was really attracted me. And so I uh, required her to join the priesthood, and here I am. Now let's start by looking at the history of priesthood. It must have started from somewhere. One of the major events that you cannot ignore in uh, priesthood mm-hmm. is uh, the events of Holy Thursday the events of uh, the Last Supper. Uh, the Catholic Church holds that in that one uh, uh, ceremony of the Last Supper, this has instituted two sacraments, both the sacrament of the Eucharist and the sacrament of uh, Holy Orders. Because once you have the sacrament of the Eucharist, of course you need ministers uh, to celebrate the Mass and uh, do the consecration. So if I was to give you in a broad way, mm-hmm. I basically would say that's where a priesthood uh, came from. What is the difference between a priest and a monk? It's interesting because uh, uh, a monk can be a priest. Not all monks are also priests. So basically it's the type of life that they live. A priest will live in a parish, he'll live in the service of the people directly. Uh, while a monk will live in an enclosed uh, community mm-hmm. and he'll be more on the line of prayer uh, for the church and uh, for even the priests themselves working outside there. They live on meditation of the Word of God and on the mysteries of God. 
they do other things, of course. They don't just pray 24 hours. Uh, there are other things they do uh, within the cloister, cloistered community, while the rest of the priests would be outside here uh, serving the people directly and also doing other things like uh, running chaplaincies and uh, some are teachers and that kind of thing. Father, and I just realized I've been calling you Father ever since I met you, and I call all priests fathers, but I've never understood why is it that we call our priests Father? The title Father, you'll be surprised that to, to a very big extent, relates with the, the, the idea of Father, a Father figure even in the family. Mm-hmm. A person who is caring, a person who is giving leadership, a person who is, uh, uh, is, is, is leading the people to a certain direction, okay? So on a, on a, on a general uh, overview, you'd, you'd look at a priest that way, but it's uh, deeper than that. It's a historical thing. It started, of course, with the, at some point, the Dominicans and the rest. The bishops were the shepherds of the local church community mm-hmm. and the authentic teachers of the faith. Initially, were given the title Father. Mm-hmm. That's in the year 400. And uh, the bishop was called the Papa. You know, Papa means Father. Yeah. It's kind of worldwide uh, understanding. Mm-hmm. Of course, today you know the Pope is the one that uh, is called uh, Papa. Mm-hmm. Because this title was later restricted to the Bishop of Rome, the successor of St. Peter. Mm-hmm. And in English, it was rendered uh, Pope. Papa is Pope, actually, fun enough uh, in, in, in that usage. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But then in uh, the early form of this role in uh, St. Benedict's in uh, 547, is one who the title to spiritual confessors since they are the guardian of souls. So you see, that protection and everything. The word abbot denoting the leader in faith of a monastic community, mm-hmm. I've just told you about monk and all that, is derived from the word abba, the Aramaic Hebrew word for father. Mm-hmm. So you see, there's, uh, even though the father has got some history with it, eh? mm-hmm. but uh, the most clear, of course, uh, around us is daddy, mm-hmm. which is not exactly what priest would be, but... Uh, I mean, I told you again, the, those two good qualities of father. Okay. Then in the Middle Ages, the term father was used to address the medical friars, mm-hmm. like the Franciscan and the Dominicans, since by their preaching, teaching, and charitable works, they cared for the spiritual and physical needs of all of God's uh, children. And then in modern times, the heads of male religious communities, or even those who participate in ecumenical councils such as Vatican II, are given the title father. In the English world, addressing all priests as father, has just become a customary. And then I've told you about the qualities of a father. And that's what all priests also aspire, mm-hmm. to be that uh, loving, uh, forgiving, providing leadership and healing and hope and comfort to the people of God. There's a lot of discussion online about this. Why is it necessary that a priest remains unmarried? What you're calling unmarried in our church language is called clerical uh, celibacy. It is a tradition. I mean, if uh, we know that in the biblical times, the situation might have been different for, uh, like Peter, the disciple of Jesus, who was married. Uh, we, know, we know about the healing of the mother-in-law. We read about it in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, and Mark 1, 29, and Luke 4, 38. Eh? Mm-hmm. And you'd be also surprised that it was not always the same for the Catholic Church. Celibacy was not, uh, for Roman Catholic priests, was not mandated under canon law for the universal church until the Second Lateran Council in 1139. So the tradition of celibacy, being unmarried, is something very recent as uh, the 12th century. Uh, but again, you, the better question is uh, the why part of it. Eh? We belong to a sacramental church, and a priest in that way is, uh, is said to be needed by the community at any time. You're never going to a priest and they say, no, sorry, I've taken my wife to, I don't know, hospital. I don't know, my wife has delivered. I don't know, my son is having a graduation. So in that way, he's uh, fully available for the people. 
So if you look, if you look again at what St. Paul talks about, he talks about uh, those who are devoted fully for the work of God. And then Jesus himself talks in Matthew 19 about uh, eunuchs, and then eunuchs for the kingdom of God. But these ones are dedicated fully for the service of God, so that they have nothing else that they're thinking about other than only this one thing. Now this is for the latecomers. Amani is 40 years old and would like to join the seminary. At that particular point, is it too late for him or is there like a set age? No, it's interesting you can become a priest at a later age because we, we don't know. You know, God has called you and if uh, he called Abraham at 75, he called Moses when he was uh, there taking care of the ship of uh, Jethro, uh, his father-in-law. God can call you at any point. Eh? But now for our own purposes, because you need the law and some kind of uh, a system, majorly what can a law you provide is that you can only be ordained a priest at 27. So you have finished your seminary education, maybe university, whatever. And then that's when you can be ordained a priest. That's the minimum. Now there's no maximum. That's the good news. So we have late vocations, people who have uh, gone, studied, even went into career. The only requirement is you should have never attempted marriage. So priesthood is not an option, a second option. It's the first and only option. I have noticed that there are so many orders. I mean, right now you're wearing a, a black cassock and there is a priest somewhere wearing a brown cassock. Why is it so? I believe what you're calling orders mm -hmm. is what we also call in our circles uh, congregations. Eh? So it depends with uh, the type of service and also to some extent uh, the place of service. So for example, myself, I'm a, I'm a diocesan priest. My work will be basically within the Akdas of Nairobi because from, I come from the Akdas of Nairobi. If, under chaplaincy, if you adopt, uh, if you're, uh, you're uh, seconded to a uh, national chaplaincy, mm -hmm. you might be requested now to move even beyond the boundaries of the, of the diocese. Yeah? But then if you come to now the missionaries, theirs would be different because it's more on charism. So, for example, there are those who are educators, there are those who are uh, working in hospitals. So it will depend on the charism of your congregation. What I'm wearing, like a black cassock, it can also be white, therefore uh, outside the liturgy. But then when uh, you ask about the black, then brown, now every congregation will have a different, they call it habit. It could be grey, it could be brown, it could be this. At times it's according to the founder. According to what they do. Now, for the reason why we are all here, please take us through the formation process. The first thing is you approach your priest, eh? the father in charge of your parish, or any other priest working in your parish, or a priest you may know, uh, because uh, you need to share your desire and uh, with somebody who is in the know. And then once you share with the person, the person will direct you, will uh, explain to you a few of the things I've already told you, mm -hmm. that there are different congregations. Mm -hmm. Because at the point of entry, you are entering a particular congregation. Now the good thing, for example, for uh, both religious and even for diocesan, there's something called a come and see. You come, you spend a weekend there, they expose you to what they do and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you, you get to know a bit about their lifestyle, about what they do, mm -hmm. uh, what service they do and the kind of thing to expect. Uh, for others, you'll even discover which countries they are in, which countries they are not. Mm -hmm. uh, then it attracts you that way, mm -hmm. you know. And then uh, once you apply, uh, I'm sure you would uh, be interested. For you to enter, for example, the seminary, mm -hmm. you must be good enough to enter university. So the minimum is uh, C plus for some, and I know for some there's a B, B minus or something like that. Because remember, once you join, you might also be taken for another training. Maybe for a doctor, maybe a lawyer. So they need the brains for you to be able to uh, to work with that. What happens at the seminary? You are uh, discerning the call. We, we cannot, for a certain, for sure that you are called at that point. 
So you are discerning. Mm -hmm. If as you are staying in the same area, you discover that, uh, yes, I'm comfortable with this life, this is what I want, then of course you can proceed. Mm -hmm. But if there are two people deciding this yourself, and then there are those people, we call them formators, mm -hmm. those observing you. And they can also tell you from what we see, uh, you don't think this really is your, is your, is, is your calling. And then they'll direct you to your right calling. This is not law school, where you'll graduate a lawyer. This is not medical school. Medicine, you'll graduate a, a doctor or a nurse or something, medical practitioner. This one is different. This is a, a vocation, it's a calling. It's not a profession. So somebody, you have to keep on as, asking yourself, is this really what uh, God is calling me? Is this what I want? When you join, uh, basically to be a priest would be seven. Okay, some of us took like ten. Because uh, amongst, there's the academic, and then there's the past practical, uh, practical which you call the pastoral experience. Eh? So I had like, for example, seven of the seminary, and then I had the three of pastoral at different stages of formation, not uh, continuous. Eh? Mm -hmm. If uh, you are going for uh, a special skill, for example, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a teacher, you want to be nini, there will also be that break where you join now university or college or something. You train also for that other one. So that's why it moves from uh, 7, 10, 14. And there are people who take even longer. If, uh, yes, you've finished the education part, academic part, but there's still that uh, am I or am I not? Then more years are added in terms of you deciding. Through your journey to priesthood, what are some of the challenges that you came across? Challenges are many. Uh, that one, uh, that really the challenges is what helps more. To want to be able to 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 be able to become a, a priest and even to dis discover that yes, truly I have, um, this is my calling. We, we are called to three things. We are called to what is called uh, celibacy. We have already discussed that. You not marry, so you have to come to terms with that reality. The fact that your celibate does not take away your sexuality, does not take away your bodily hormones and the rest, and uh, that's one challenge. And it can also be a sign, especially if you ask me, how do you know? that yes, you're called to be a priest. The more you cannot deal with it <laughs> at formation stage, the more you know that even Ukombele, there's no way I'll be able to deal with it, yeah? So there's celibacy. But most people think that that's the hardest uh, promise of how that we take. Actually, the hardest is obedience. There's obedience is the toughest because with obedience, you'll be forever submitting to, some, uh, to the will of the superior. Like today I'm in Karen, I can get a letter right, right now and I'm told uh, you're needed uh, in the other corner of Nairobi. You never question about that. So that, that one is more tougher if you, if you, if you compare the two. Mm -hmm. And then of course the third one is uh, poverty. Uh, poverty is not a challenge per se, because it's just a way of life that you adopt into. But strangely enough, as long as you're in the church, they, you, you never lack. If you go to the hardship area, the congregation or the diocese will have a way to make sure that uh, at least you have the essentials. But then again, priesthood is not about luxury. Priesthood is about sacrifice. So at every moment, you're also living with the people. You're supposed to feel with them. You become part of them. And then you're able to serve them. And uh, I'll take you back to what St. Paul says in the scriptures. St. Paul says something nice. I've learned to live with plenty, and I've learned to live with less. So at every point in your life, you live with what is available. So in our little, these are our little crosses, and we carry them with joy and happiness. And I'm very sure you encounter priests, and they're just happy. You encounter nuns, they're just happy. At times you're confused, do these people have problems until you get a bit personal and you discover, yes, we have our problems, but how we look at our problems is different from maybe how the secular world look at problems. So this is just challenges, 
and the God that we serve will help us overcome number one, number two, it is happy, it's a joyful thing to sacrifice. Now let's say for example there is this young man who joins the seminary. What happens when later he decides to leave? Is it allowed? If at some stage you feel like I'm strongly now sure that this is not my call, mm -hmm. it's a call. You just approach the superiors and tell them I think uh, it's not my call and uh, they, are, they, are, they are the experience they are trained, they would also help you. Because it can also be a moment just of despair. You know, even in life, if you're doing a project, for example, you can despair at some point. And then you're able to overcome the despair and continue. So they can be able to see whether it's a serious uh, issue for you that at this point you really feel it's not what's for you. Or it's from them to you. That they've looked at you, they've evaluated you, they discover you are simply in the wrong place. And then they help you go to the right place. And I'm sure you rarely hear of a priest coming out of priesthood. You rarely hear that. But at the seminary stage, yes, there's a lot of young men who come out. You mentioned that you have siblings and that now your father remarried. I'd like to know, being a priest, did it change your relationship with your family in any way? Uh, of course it changes. It changes in that uh, now they accept your new status and also they know it comes with its own demands. There's this term, we say detach to attach. So it simply means... Uh, you don't fully move away from your family. Like, for example, the Sun Priest ourselves, we work within the archdiocese from where we were born, or where we have been incarnated. To be incarnated is like to enter and adopt it as your diocese. Yeah? So, if you're already incarnated into the diocese and your own biological family is within, you cannot ignore them. You are very close to them. It's different from a missionary who is in a different country. So, it is just you to know how much you want to be involved in your family. So, that it does not take you away from your your calling. So as you move along the journey, this small attachment to your family, you lessen it. You, the best gift you actually can give them is prayer. You are in the best place to be praying for them all the time. The part that is more interesting about your relationship with your family, you become now a spiritual leader even at that stage. What are some of the duties you carry out in a day? So basically like now, I'm in the office. It's, it's called office day, Wednesday, I sit here. Anybody comes, I listen to them. I, nobody needs an appointment uh, because I'll be there. If, for example, it's today's Wednesday, Thursday should be the day to see the sick and the aged who are at home. Of course, the coronavirus, uh, we have different regulations on how to go about it. We only go on demand. Initially, we just used to have our own list. All the sick, all the aged, we used to leave in the morning and just see all of them and come back in the afternoon. But with the coronavirus directives, currently, it's only on demand. We moved to Friday. Uh, Friday would be more administrative. This is when most appointments would happen. And then at times we'd have a wedding, we'd have a funeral. Many would fall on Thursday or Friday. Then there's uh, Sunday is our, this is the day of the Lord for us. Once in a while we get people are running in, they're just overwhelmed with life. Some are on the verge of suicide. At times we have a couple that is just uh, fighting currently, they just come to, for you to sort them out. According to our regulations as priests, people think we're just there all the time. But look even at Jesus telling the disciples, uh, let's, go, let's go, get away and rest. He, he could understand the human need for rest after working a lot. Eh? Most priests would have their day, on, uh, day off on Mondays. I normally joke and say, you fought the devil so hard on Sunday. You need to rest. <laughs> now life happens, Father. Just as the way there is a beginning, there is an end. 
What happens to the priest who are too old to serve or when someone dies as a priest? There are two things that can happen. The priests who are old but are still energetic enough and well enough to work, they are still in the parishes and they still serve. Some communities, congregations would put them to give retreats, uh, recollections, give them minor duties, duties that do not need a lot of physical energy, uh, that kind of thing, or too much traveling. Two, uh, those who need a lot of medical care, this probably advance will be removed from the parishes and we put we have uh, what we call clergy houses or uh, special retreat centers that would accommodate uh, these people who also need uh, uh, care themselves either medical or just that old age uh, care now you ask about death that's a reality we there's no shame in discussing death we even encourage couples to discuss death i just told you that uh, my mother died in 1999 my dad only reparent last year because they had made a pact when they were and my mother was still alive that whoever goes first the other one does not remarry until the last born finishes school my dad waited for 19 years for our last one to graduate before he thought of remarrying so that is something that we should not be ashamed to talk about and uh, for us priests when we are ordained already we know what will happen when we die for example me if i die now i know i'll be buried at st austin's musungari that's in westlands in fact i joke to people and tell them i've got a small plot of land in westlands you know the westlands land is expensive but at least mine is six by four only that i'll not enjoy it because i'll be dead but at least for me that is sure i cannot be taken back to sierra i come from sierra no that one is kusha uh, and if uh, for bishops they'll be buried in the cathedrals and finally, Father, what would you say to a young boy who is dreaming of becoming a man of the cloth? Any boy who's uh, dreaming of becoming a man of the cloth, depending on the age, first I would encourage them to be altar servers. Come nearer to the altar, get used to it, get comfortable with it, like it, you know, get used, be close to the priests. Maybe if you are older, you can be a youth member, see the priests, see what they do. I normally say it's like uh, our phones eh, with the network. The more you come closer to the booster, <laughs> the stronger it should be. So if you feel the urge is growing stronger, then probably that's your call. Then approach your priest, approach your church leader, tell them about your desire, they'll take you to the right place. And uh, we are more than happy to welcome you because at the moment, the truth be told, we have a serious shortage of priests. It's the best decision uh, that they can ever make. Thank you so much, Father, for answering our questions. Well, I hope this discussion answered more than a few questions you had in mind. If you still have more, send them my way and I will get them answered for you. Find us on Facebook, My Divine Mother Mary, or you can write us an email on mydivinemothermary at gmail.com. This is the first part of the Divine Path series. Get in touch with us. We are here for you. It's yours truly, Elsa Guia. Until next time, goodbye and God bless. <laughs>